This episode of Wadadley Excellence is sponsored by the Tequila Sunrise Antigua B&B. Choose Tequila Sunrise for all your short-term and vacation rental needs. Tequila Sunrise, quality accommodations at an affordable price. What's up, Wadadley friends and family? Welcome back to the channel. And as usual, thank you for all your support. Welcome to another episode of Wadadley Excellence. Our guest tonight is being featured in our Academic Legends Showcase. So, from Tanner Street, St. John's, Antigua, our guest tonight can only be described as an academic and literary legend. He has published numerous books and articles across the fields of the classics and French Caribbean literature. He is an alumnus of Harvard University and earned his PhD from the University of California at Berkeley. He has been on the faculty of many prestigious institutions, including Stanford University, Cornell, and NYU. He is now the professor of classics and comparative literature emeritus at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute honor and pleasure to welcome to the show Dr. N. Gregson Davis. Welcome to Wadabi TV. Thank you for that introduction and uh, I'm flattered and um, honored to be here and um, I'm happy to um, fill you in with any uh, background information that you need about my career. The pleasure is all ours, so thank you for your time. Very good. Let me set the scene a little bit. Um, I, I think maybe 10 years ago, I had read an article, uh, which I guess at this point is, it probably wasn't correct, but it said there was a young man taken from Antigua at age 13 who was proficient in mathematics. So proficient, in fact, that he was taken directly to Princeton or Harvard or something like that. Uh, and I was like, wow, how is it that I've never heard of this person? <laughs> we have a gifted, you know, super smart young man that, that made that leap directly to the university and, and no one's ever really celebrated that. So that's where the nuke, the, I guess the beginning of this idea to have you on this show, once we got kind of serious with trying to track down our, our local heroes, so to speak. Um, how much of that article is true? Uh, and set the record straight for us, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there's some <laughs> inaccuracies Okay. In, in that um, that portrait. Yeah, so first of all, I did my undergraduate work indeed at Harvard and my PhD at the University of California at Berkeley. Um, no connection with Princeton at all. And my field was not mathematics. It was classics. I, um, I, I my, my first degree was actually in classics. And in my second degree, my PhD was in comparative literature and that's a vague expression but in my case what it what it came down to was the study of both uh greek and latin and 
French at the PhD level. So comparative literature allowed me to work in three literatures, ancient Greek, Latin, and French. Wow. Was that, let me, let me ask this question. Was that uncommon in Antigua at the time? That to me, looking back now, you know, we were an English speaking country in the middle of like two other French countries and other Spanish neighbors, Greek and Latin and all this other stuff. How did that come to be? Uh, and so, I mean, to your level, you know, pursuing that so far, how did that even come into the picture? Yes, well, that that's a very good question. So. I was a student at the Antigua Grammar School. And um, at that time, the uh, subjects that were taught included Latin and French. Those oh. two languages were very much a very important part of the curriculum. Uh, and um, in my case, I, um, I was an overall very good student, uh, in, including math, by the way. But <laughs> I was a very good student, but my I really, uh, I really um, did my best work uh, in languages and in Latin in particular. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and and that was a standard sort of curriculum. Uh, this is we're talking about the fifties and and well, I left in nineteen fifty six, so I started grammar school in nineteen fifty. So okay. um, talking about let's say the early fifties. That was the kind of, uh, those were the subjects that were most prominent. As for Greek, I didn't learn Greek. Um, uh, I didn't take classes in Greek officially until I was an undergraduate at Harvard. But my Latin teacher, who was the great uh, legendary Alfred Blackett, uh, mm. uh, he he was preparing me. He was my, um, my, my Latin teacher, of course, in sixth form. And I did very well with him on his tutelage, and he gave me private lessons in Greek. At one point, he said, well, I don't think there's much more I can teach you about Latin, so let's do some Greek. So we had, we had private, I had private lessons from him uh, with, in elementary Greek. And then when I went to college and majored in, in classics, I took classes in both, both languages. Yeah. That's my linguistic background. Um, but I, I don't want to um, close my story of my my linguistic my education in languages without mentioning my mother, because the the, the basis of my success in languages really is to be uh, attributed to her early tutelage. My mother was a, a teacher in the elementary school, which was in our backyard in Antigua, <laughs> and yeah. she. She taught me English grammar and syntax. She was a brilliant teacher and very, very knowledgeable in, in uh, yeah, grammar. So for our viewers, if the name sounds familiar, if the name Davis sounds familiar. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, you want to tell the story? Tell the people who you are. Uh, Davis. The Davis name is... Well, synonymous. you mentioned Tanner Street. And yes. <laughs> the Davis family, <laughs> we lived um, facing Country Point. Right. And um, there were seven children to uh, Oliver Davis, okay. father, otherwise look <laughs> commonly, commonly called Pookie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, my mother, Evelyn, she was actually Graham, and her maiden name was Graham, and she came from Barbados uh, specifically to marry my father. 
because wow. they had met in Barbados when my father and mother were um, at teacher's training college in Barbados. And they met there. My father came back and and, and he started a, a, a school. He was headmaster of a school in Liberta. Mm -hmm. My mother, my mother, Evelyn, was also a teacher in Barbados. Anyway, they fell in love. He came back to Antigua. And uh, after five years of correspondence, he proposed marriage and she came to Antigua. And they had seven children. <laughs> wow. And in that house in, in Tantana Street, overlooking Country Pond, is where the seven children uh, were born to Evelyn and Pookie. Wow. Uh, and that's the story of my immediate. Uh, <laughs> So the school now started in your living room. Is that true? Yes. No, the school is an interesting story in itself. My aunt, Aunt Hilda, lived with us at Tan uh, Street. And so she was, in effect, we like to say, a kind of a second mother. And she um, started an elementary school originally um, in our living room in, in Tan Street. And then it expanded. When I was four years old, we uh, had a special uh, school building and constructed in in a backyard facing South Street. And that's, yeah. that was where the foundation, the school, had uh, moved after out of the living room and into the backyard. And the result of this is that I grew up, so to speak, in school, in and out of school. And in that school, my mother was a teacher. My father occasionally taught in the early days. When I came along, he had given up teaching, but um, in the early days, apparently, he was always one of the teachers in the school, and my mother was a teacher in the school. So I was in and out of school. What was your life? <laughs> so much, my entire life. I've, nice. I've known what education is what our family focused on. And all, of, all of the children, every single one, went on to college. Uh, and it was a little unusual in those days, but uh, not, it's not unusual anymore, but we're talking about early 50s. Yeah. Beautiful. So tell us how does uh, a 13-year-old, 15-year-old boy go from Tana Street, Antigua to Harvard? How did that happen? Good question. So let me start by saying that it was the correct age was is 15, 15. not 13. Okay. <laughs> um, so I entered college at 15, graduated at 19. So the question is, how did that happen? Well, um, it's an interesting story, which tells you a little bit about um, the state of higher education and uh, college education, opportunities for college education in Antigua. In Antigua, yeah. Yeah. So the Millbeef Club, which I know is familiar to you and your listeners, you know, and is in a, a community of, of of wealthy Americans who have owned homes, right, in its gated community, part of Antigua. Yeah. Um, they initiated in the maybe in the late 40s, uh, um, just before I came along, I, or perhaps early 50s. Uh, they initiated a program uh, which was intended to um, to help Antiguans um, who were interested in, in a college career to help to cover their expenses and and to award scholarships to promising young scholars. 
so that they could attend university. Normally, of course, uh, in those days, you attended university in the colonizing country, which is Britain, right? So if you were a good student, you would take the Cambridge School Certificate examinations, right. and scholarships were available to those who uh, came out at the top. You know, the best students in, in, in that system went on usually to fairly prestigious universities in England, Oxford, Cambridge, Oxford, and so forth and so on. So I was, I was being groomed for that um, by the year that I came up to study for the higher school certificate. And um, the challenge was that the person who had, the person who was awarded scholarships had to be, um, the, the college had to have become first in the entire Leeward Islands in the higher school certificate examination. Wow. wow. So in that, in sixth form. So I was in sixth form and I was basically studying towards the higher school certificate with the hope of, of going on to college. Uh, now, at this point, by coincidence, um, the head of the Mill Reef Trust Fund, as it was called in those days, um, scholarship fund, it's called the Trust Fund, uh, was a famous American poet named Archibald MacLeish, who had an appointment at Harvard. And he was very keen to uh, have, uh, have best students uh, who were sponsored by with help from the Mill Reef go to an American university as opposed to a British university. Right. Yeah. And so um, he he went to the Antigua Grammar School at the time and he thought, okay, I'll see if I can I can recruit a student here for Harvard. He went to the Antigua Grammar School and he spoke to the, the headmaster whose name is Jack Foote. Um, and he said to Jack Foote, uh, as reported by my father, he went to Jack Foote and he said, who's your best student? And the reply was NGG, which is <laughs> the way in which... <laughs> the way in which this, the school teachers in those days uh, referred to their students by the initials, their last yep. name and the initials. And since there was more than one Davis at grammar school at the time, I was NGG and my father was OFG, right? Oliver Father Davis. Mm -hmm. So he said NGG. So Macleish uh, was quite amused. And um, so he then went to the Antigua Girls High School because he wanted to have, have some, yes, to recruit yeah, also. Right. To, to, to Radcliffe, which was, you know, Radcliffe and Harvard at the time, you know, were, were connected. And now they have a joint degree now. But anyway, so he went to the girls' high school and he said, who is your best student? And the answer was Cecile Davis. whole <laughs> <laughs> <All> family. <laughs> so I said, thank you. So he then, arranged, he then arranged for us to take the SATs, you know, the examinations mm -hmm. to, to college. And the idea was that if we did well in the on the on the um, SATs, and they would um, and and then if we were admitted to Harvard, he would then arrange you know to have the Mill Reef tribute contribute. Uh, yeah. right. So we we did both did very well, and um, at that point um, I was told that uh, you've been admitted to Harvard on a tuition scholarship. And I went to my Latin teacher because, I, of course, I didn't know much about anything about the university system mm -hmm. in the United States. I never I had never heard of Harvard and Yale and all this stuff. And I was <laughs> very, very uh, young and inexperienced. And, and so I said to Dr. Blackett, he became a doctor, by the way. He had a PhD after, um, after my degree, finished my degree. He did his PhD in London. Um, he said to me, I said to him, um, uh, 
Mr. Blackett, um, I, I just got admitted to um, uh, Harvard College in the U.S. And um, what should I do? Because I was thinking, you know, after praying, you know, I was hoping had my site set in Oxford or Cambridge. He said, oh, take it. <laughs> yes, yes, take that. <laughs> so that, that was a story. So uh, I, I didn't actually complete the uh, uh, the preparation for the high school certificate because I was admitted to Harvard. I would then have been in 6A. So I had not yet taken the exam. But I visited Harvard and I left before I took the, the actual Cambridge exam. Oh, but that was fine um, because I was able to um, enroll in, in, in classics to, uh, to do a degree and do, which would build on my skills in, in, in Latin and so forth. And um, did very well, won a bunch of, of prizes for Latin translation, including one as a freshman. And uh, there, there was a as a, a prize that was awarded for uh, Latin translation. Um, Harvard had a had a wonderful uh, competition, um, which involved setting a passage in English to be translated in Latin. Usually, the um, the, the set piece was was from a famous uh, English English author like Macaulay or one of these people, and. Um, the prize was open to all, anyone in the, in the university. Mm -hmm. Of course, it would be attractive to classics classics majors. Normally, it would be taken by uh, by seniors. The people would enter if they were seniors, you know, having had four years of, of that. But I was fairly confident that I'd win the prize because I <laughs> <laughs> did <you> get from <laughs> because 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 I had very good, very 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 good training by Blackett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Blackett himself uh, was very pleased with my, with the results of my of my efforts to translate English into Latin. That was my forte. Mm. So I I signed up and entered as a freshman. Mm -hmm. Now the, the way it was done was that the, this prize you entered um, with a pseudonym, right? So oh. you, you had the pseudonym, so nobody knew who and you were. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I chose a pseudonym. In Latin, novus homo, which could be roughly translated upstart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> novus homo. Nice. I, I got the passage, yeah. uh, and I did my best. You know, I, I made a great and, and very careful effort to, to produce elegant prose, you know, in the style of Cicero. And I thought, well, this is going to win the prize. <laughs> and it sure is up did. And then something very interesting happened. I was called in by my advisor, mm -hmm. who was uh, in, in charge of these uh, this competition. He said, well, you know, he says, I have something very interesting to tell you. Um, your, your essay, your composition was the best. Wow. And normally, we, normally it's given to a senior. Mm -hmm. So this year we will give two prizes. <laughs> oh. Oh boy! Oh, they don't want to embarrass. To me. Avoid embarrassment. <laughs> you let the freshman do it. No, no, no. Anyway, so cut a long story short. Yeah. It was an annual prize, and I won it four years in a row. Wow! There you go, that. Wow! And to cap it all off, um, I was chosen to give the Latin oration at commencement. Oh. Uh, 
at the commencement exercise at Harvard, there was a tradition that they there was um, a speech uh, given by an undergraduate representing his class, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that speech was in in Latin. So I had to compose and and uh, deliver the speech in Latin, and it's the first item on the commencement address. So this made some headlines, okay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> one of the headlines was was because uh, there were a correspondent for for um, Time Magazine Education, the education section of Time Magazine was attending Harvard commencement, and he saw this young black student delivering a speech in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> And he wow. thought it was it was an interesting item. So so he interviewed my sister and myself on the steps of Widen the Library. They made Time magazine, 1960, June 1960. Wow. Oh man, wow. <laughs> so it caused a bit of a sensation in back in Antigua, of course. Wow. Take me back to your days at the <laughs> Antigua Grammar School. Yeah. yeah. Um how did um Latin and the study of languages um, set you apart from the other students? What was the culture like um, at the Antigua Grammar School at the time in terms of persons being pervasive in, in, in languages? I know Latin is the basis for um, many languages. And yes, so absolutely. How, how did that experience okay, so Historically, I can explain, the, the first of all, the, the fact that Latin was an important uh, subject in the curriculum. Uh, you can explain it by considering the origins and the foundations uh, of the secondary schools, like the Antigua Grammar School, which was set up by the British colonizers in various in various countries. So, the the the, um, the purpose of the uh, these schools was to was to educate the sons and daughters of the plantocracy. They were not intended for for ex-slaves, right? Really? <laughs> or slaves. Yes. They were intended to the people who owned the sugar plantations, who would nice. normally go on to Oxford or Cambridge and wow. then inherit these estates. That's the purpose. That that was the uh the the, the aim of the Antigua Grammar Schools to prepare the plantocrats for their role in society, right? Wow. And so the curriculum reflects that. And this is all over the British Empire, the okay. same curriculum. You know, if you were in India, or so, if you were in, you know, wherever the British had colonies, the exact same examination system and the exact and the curriculum was identical all over the British Empire. Wow. So, and, and that spoke to the fact that um, not very many exactly um, indigenous antiques, put it this way, were allowed no, to go to school. Was, that was, so I go back. I went back to the origins of the schools. But then, of course, after emancipation and so forth, education was opened up to the ex-slave population, right? And grammar school would, would, would admit students, you know, uh, who are not of the plantocracy, right? <laughs> or, their, or their relatives and so forth. So that's the way it started. And um, when I came along, there were, uh, uh, you just had to pass an examination to secondary school and you'd win a scholarship. Yeah, and then, of course, later on, this was, you know, it became more of, um, they were more open to having all students, qualified students, admitted to grammar school. So I'm, I'm guessing, but you can tell me, uh, kind of talk us through it. Mm -hmm. Being the underdog in every way, apparently, even at grammar school, 
How did that sort of prepare you for what you were going to encounter at Harvard in what late fifties, early sixties, yeah. in the midst of all the you know oh, the things yeah. happening in the U.S. at the time? Let's just say it that way. Okay, good. Well, I give you a, a, a preparatory anecdote uh, which mm -hmm. you can relate to this. So when I was admitted to grammar school and scholarship, we were told that that this particular year. They, they would uh, not put all of the scholarship students directly into 2A. They, would, they were going to put everyone together in 2B, which was the other stream, they had A stream and B stream. Normally, they would have put scholarship students directly into 2A. Mm -hmm. But they said, no, this year we're going to put everybody in 2B. And after two months or so, I can't remember the exact interval of time, we will give, we will, um, we would uh, promote the people who had done well based on their performance to two A, regardless of whether the scholarship students or not. Right. So idea was everybody goes into two, into two two B. Two B. After a few months, the people who are doing really well two A up to two A. Gotcha. So I thought fine. Um, so I went along and um, I I got very good grades. In fact, I was the top student in that in that first two months in every subject. Right? Okay. Wow. Okay. So then, when time came for promotion, uh, the, the uh, school, the headmaster of the school, Jack Foot, announced that the names he, he he called out the names of the people who would be promoted. Mine was not one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I was not promoted. So my father did not take kindly to this one at all. So he went to see Jack Foot. Yes, with the cutlass. And and they they said, well, he's he's young. Mm. Mm. Young. So my father. I really give 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 them business. <laughs> <laughs> Only my father could. Yeah. And the next day when I went to school, I was told by the teacher, pick up your desk and take it to two A. Two A. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Grammar school. That's how things were those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so arriving at Harvard, so there were two issues really. The fact that I was very young and so the question of social, you know. Uh, adjustments and so yeah. on, and cultural adjustments as well, coming from Antigua, um, was one. And the other thing was academics. Well, on the academic scene, I was pretty confident. I didn't have too much anxiety about that. Go. Yeah. Um, socially, it was interesting in that most of the students at Harvard in 1956, when I when I began, most of them were from very wealthy white uh, upper class Americans, right? And some some very uh, 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 aristocratic families from various countries in the world, like the Aga Khan and people like that, you know. And then they had like Michael Rockefeller and all this stuff. There were only half a dozen students of color at, at Harvard in 1956. Um, I can imagine. There were there were there were there were uh, there was a Haitian. Mm -hmm. There was a, a, two, a Nigerian, a Kenyan, a Haitian, uh, two, only two African-Americans, 1956, wow. an entire wow. entering class of about, uh, I don't know, I can't remember, maybe about 1,200 students. I wonder, I wonder how far off of desegregation this was um, in, what's 56, you said? Yeah, so 50, yes, 56. Mm -hmm. So when I arrived... It was the beginning, not the beginning, but perhaps uh, close to the beginning of the civil rights. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And while I was in college, we we get we kept getting these reports from the south and on the sit-ins, yeah. and, and that was all keeping up. We didn't. It wasn't much discussed on the university campus. <laughs> I wonder why. But <laughs> but that was the that was that's the story. And of yeah. course, everything. By the time I went to graduate school in the sixties, you know, the civil rights movement was in full force. And when I was a graduate student, I have to tell you, I spent more time on the barricades and in demonstrations oh. <laughs> than in the class. Wow. <laughs> in the classroom. Wow. I was a TA at Berkeley in the sixties, oh, wow. and Berkeley had become the center for student um, agitation yep. our organization. And I was, I, was, I was a very, 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 very uh, intense participant and eager participant in the, uh, the movement. You've been successful in, in you know, yeah. being seen and being recognized and those kinds of studies. Uh, but at the time, during the genesis of this and, and marching and protesting for, for certain kinds of rights and abilities, did you waver? Did you doubt? Like, take me through the night that Martin Luther, oh, I guess the day that Martin Luther King got, got assassinated. Well, you know, um, I, I, did, I didn't doubt that, uh, that, uh, that this movement was going to have some success because the, uh, the reaction to it on the part of um, white Southerners in particular, but also large numbers of the white population um, in the United States uh, was, was, was certainly mixed and, uh, and, and in some cases hostile. So, but there was a movement, there was a sense of euphoria on the part of students we felt that that we were going to change things. Uh, this whole generation, we felt, okay, America has not lived up to its promises. Uh, we're going to support the King King movement, and we're going to support all these other other uh, movements for social change. Wow. But we also had a kind of confidence that in America would never be the same. We really untruly thought that we we had turned the corner, and that's when you saw these massive demonstrations. And when, when King was assassinated, I just I remember just walking on the campus and everybody was in, was in shock, you know, everybody yeah. was in shock. Wow. But, you know, one thing that happened that it mobilized uh, people of all races to, to uh, uh, really face the issues in American society, uh, of, of inequality in American society, and try to bring, bring about change at, at the... Um, federal level and, you know, in in the um, the laws and so forth. And that's when you had, you know, all of the movements to have civil rights, you know, uh, implemented, you know, that's in powerful. various ways. Yeah. That's very powerful. Yeah. Through all of these great appointments and positions and so on, you're still, you know, um, a, a little black boy from Antigua. Has that ever crossed your mind when you step into some of these big boardrooms and, and, and stages with thousands of people listening to you? Do you <laughs> like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that um, I've always felt comfortable in academic settings. Mm. And my, my father was very good at making us understand that, that you know, you know, just be good at what you do. And um, he taught us that we are as good as anybody in the human being. 
Love and goddess of race or where you're from or anything else. So I had I had disadvantage I, I, that I never really um, I've never really been intimidated by by my academic peers, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was not a moment that did not cause me great anxiety, but but I did get involved a little bit in making sure that um, that uh, minorities and so on. The students of minorities and professors of, uh, who are minority or that is black or indigenous uh, Indian, you know, indigenous American, uh, that these folks would get their their opportunities, right? right? And because we all know that there were that the exclusions that that, uh, that took place, you know, these are the, um, uh, minorities, even his uh, Jews and other, and, yeah non-anglo-saxon protestant populations <laughs> so I, I was i was i wouldn't say that i was i was i, I was very very active but i certainly supported uh, black studies when i was you know when i was dean and certainly i was you know very very i made contributions which not nothing spectacular but uh, but i certainly was consulted a lot by by administrators and so on uh, and and those served on various committees and so forth uh, to bring about you know uh, these changes. And Duke has done very very well, by the way. Duke Duke has made great strides from the days when they had no black students <laughs> to now a large number of faculty, black faculty, and this kind of thing. And so you see some great changes, and it's happening also at the administrative level. So we're right. We're in the forefront, and you notice that my old, my old, um, uh, my my alma mater, uh, old undergraduate alma mater, Harvard, has come through big time. Did you see yes. that? Yes, have a the black person, black woman, who is now president of Harvard. This is inconceivable. Wow. When I when I think about my years at Harvard in, in the fifties, this this was just not in the, in the in the foreseeable future. But there it is. Harvard has a black female. She, I think her, her family is originally from Haiti. Yeah, oh, wow. she's Haiti. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations to them. Yeah, I'm really impressed. Yeah. And Harvard, by the way, is definitely on board with the idea that um, that the, the university profited from slavery. And you yeah. may have heard the story about Harvard Law School and the Antigua Connection. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I read about that uh, last what, year. That plantation thing. owners. Yeah, they, what do they have? Some sort of a, the law school. Yeah, yeah. This that is, they had actual property yeah. there and slaves yeah. and so on, and, and yeah. the Plantation. profits and the proceeds. Yeah, the Harvard Law School was founded in the profits of the slave trade in Antigua. So that's an area where we can we can work on here for definitely <laughs> for some reparations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We actually talked with. Probably one of your, maybe he came along after you, mm -hmm. a gentleman by the name of Dorbreen Omar. Dorbreen, yes, yes. Yeah, is yes, he yes. a contemporary of you? Well, he was my 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 brother Edgar, who died recently. Mm -hmm. um, they were so Edgar was a few years younger than than I, but he, he was at the grammar school when I taught that year at the grammar school. Yeah, Ed I, Edgar was one of my students <laughs> in six in six B. Okay. <laughs> There in that class I was teaching, and that would be Dobrin's Dobrin's uh, oh, uh, generation. Yeah. I see, I see. And I'm, I'm very happy to see how Dobrin has gone on with uh, with the 
theater, writing writing plays, yeah. getting involved in in literary what work. Guy. What a guy! He's really a great example. And he's and, making uh, the uh, he's leading the charge at least in a leading the charge yeah. on the reparations. On the reparations, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I was very happy to see uh, the, his attempts to create a a theater, uh, you know, an Antiguan theater. Uh, sort of an, a little bit like on, on the model of uh, Derek Walcott's attempts to start a theater in Trinidad, right? Theater workshop in Trinidad, right? And composed original plays and so on, involving on the use of Creole languages and, and so forth. So we're going to wrap up, but before we do, we have some rapid fire questions uh, yes. to help people. We talked a lot about all the academics and so on, but we want to yes. add a little bit more of a personal touch. Uh, to to the interview, mm -hmm. so we have a couple of uh, rapid fire questions that sure. Uh, sure. we will ask. Um, we'll skip that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rank one, two, and three. We have short shirt, swallow, and obstinate. How would you rank? Oh, short shirt. <laughs> <laughs> No question okay. about that. He's one. Okay, who's two? <laughs> okay, short shirt. Yeah. Swallow obstinate. Okay, wow. This is an obstinate fan right here. Oh, that's, uh, this is this is not, this is not to say that these people are not good, you know. It's your personal preference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subjective. <laughs> uh, let's see. Were you a Michael Jackson or a Prince fan? Well, more Jackson than Prince. More Jackson than Prince. You see, but, but that generation is, is, is when I was an adolescent and when I was listening to a lot of popular music mm -hmm. before the Prince era, you know. Oh, so I see. I see. I, I am, you know, Aretha Franklin and yeah. uh, Tina Turner and <laughs> that's <There> you <laughs> that generation. On, on that note, though, let's go back. What's your favorite short shirt song? Oh my God! Nobody go run me. Oh, yeah. Where we come from? <laughs> That's right. The champion of short shirts. The unofficial Antigua anthem. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Let's go into your foods. I'm maybe you're not a fast food eating man, but no, I don't. Is it do the fast. Big Mac or or Whopper? No, I don't do fast food. You don't do fast food. I don't, don't, don't want to sound like a snob. <laughs> I uh, my my family are, are all great cooks. My wife is a fabulous cook, but mm -hmm. we're very uh, cosmopolitan in our approach to food. But okay. but but fast foods has never been never been my thing. Gotcha. Yeah. As antiquated foods go. Um, oh. Well, uh, you you name it: sauce, pepper <laughs> <laughs> pot, pepper pot and fungi. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> nice. Yeah. I've I've always had a, 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 a an enigma, a, a sort of a tie in terms of what is a national dish. Some people say punji and sausage. Some people say dukkan and sausage. What's your take? Okay, so this so sausage breakfast. Yeah. Well, uh, I would say the the punji and pepper pot. Everybody. Mm. I no, think my mother would agree. What we do though in, in our household is we um, my my wife Daphne, um, she really she likes to do the Sunday breakfast, Antigua Sunday breakfast with saltfish oh, and, and um Johnny Johnny cakes, you know. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. time is breakfast again? 
Oh. <laughs> he is a very, very fine cook. We're coming, very, right? We're going. Obvious. We're going for breakfast. There you go. Uh, and chicken favorite, cook. Yeah. Favorite book? Favorite book? That's a I tough, tough one, right? Yeah. I don't know if I have a single favorite book. Um, let me just say this. I, I, You know that poetry is my love, right? So that, that's... Yeah. We talk Good. about favorite Good. English poet, my favorite Caribbean poet. You know, that's... Mm. Um, my favorite English poet is John Keats, mm. which goes back to my school days. My favorite West Indian poet is Derek Walcott. Mm. And the second, um, well, uh, yeah, well, I would say Derek Walcott, whom I got to know very well, by the way, and even tried to hire him at Duke when I was dean. But <laughs> uh, he's a great, a very great poet and really deserves that Nobel Prize. Yeah. 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 Um, any movies? Uh, not a very big movie movie go fan. <laughs> uh, so you're a superstar, at least in my eyes. Uh, but you. <laughs> can you share a celebrity encounter? Uh, or are you not really phased by? Well, who are you phased by? And I'm not phased by that. But I did enjoy. I just mentioned Derek Walcott. I think yeah. the people that, well, the two people that have written who's work I was studied and published on uh, and whom I was, had a thrill when I met were um, uh, Amy Césaire, who I mentioned before, who was, yeah. he was a, a Martinique and he was a, a prominent politician and a poet. And I wrote a book on him and I visited him in Martinique and in Paris several times. And that was a very important, uh, a very important uh, and, gotcha. Yeah, change for me. The other one was Derek Walcott, whom I had invited several times when I was in various universities to come and read it, read his poetry and, and so forth. And I tried to hire him. And then in his later years, we got to be good friends and I would visit him and stay at this place. And and, uh, I, and, and meeting him was, was, was a very, very important uh, and meaningful uh, encounter for me. Yeah. Uh, how about the music genre? You strike me as maybe a, a jazz guy. Is well, interesting. Well, I mean, I'm pretty eclectic, but I'll be really honest with you, though. When I was growing up in Antigua, mm -hmm. I I, uh, I was taught classical piano, right? Oh. So uh, the the headmistress of the Antigua Girls High School was an English woman named Winifred Wainwright, and she taught me piano, and I took I took a lot of those exams with the Royal Academy of Music exams and did quite well there. And I still I still keep my, my piano repertoire going. I, I practice still nowadays. That said, even though I was trained as a classic, classical pianist, I loved I love um uh, uh, you mentioned jazz. I would say I don't know what you, I would say, you know, the kind of music, black music that came out, you know, with um, that I mentioned Aretha Franklin and and people of that of that ilk. Um, soul music yeah. uh, and calypso, of course. Calypso, <laughs> calypso. I've you know the great Sparrow. You, you didn't mention Mighty Sparrow because you're focusing on Antiguan Calypsonians, right. but <laughs> I have all of all the records that Sparrow made. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I have a total, almost complete collection, except maybe for the last five years or so. And yeah, and he stopped playing in his competitions with Calypso King. So I'm a great admirer of of Caribbean music. 
steel band music. Uh, there on Canada Street, come South Street, you know, we were Boot Force fans. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have right. collections of their early, early recordings that the Boot Force made. Uh, and I admire that music very, very much. Look at that. Wow. Wow. So, what do you put on to like relax at the house? Beautiful study you have there. What yeah. do you just put on a kickback and just, you know, just well, as I mentioned before, uh, I, I will play classical music and then yeah. disperse it with music from other countries and other cultures, like Indian music, um, you know, like Ravi Shankar and that sort of thing. And then occasionally, I, for example, I just uh, dug up uh, my old LP because I still use the discs <laughs> of, of, of Tina Turner because there's a recent musical that's made in Korea, which I think I saw. So I dusted off my old Tina Turner album. <laughs> oh, you mean the big one, the big twelve-inch record? Yeah, yeah. The needle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So what happens is I listen. To, the time I listen to music most is when I'm exercising in the morning. I I do. I've been doing daily exercises since age twenty something, and mostly yoga, yoga, and oh, okay. uh, some tai chi. And mm. I I turn on. Uh, music. A lot of times it's classical music, but yeah. uh, you know, also Ravi Shankar. That explains it. Yeah, Man, you look you look fabulous. It's all um, it's all because of you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Wow, this has been quite a treat, uh, Mr. Mr. Davis. What can I say? Thank you for coming on the show. Well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Congratulations on all of your accomplishments. Well, um, thanks again, and uh, don't forget don't forget Jamaica Kincaid. Oh, definitely. We will reach out to all of our heroes and hopefully with a little, uh, you know, we'll just name drop. Say Gregson was on, so you, you know, feel comfortable. Come on. So hopefully <laughs> that it. actually works. I hope it works. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again. Uh, General? Thank you for your contribution to the um, intelligentsia of Caribbean life. Ooh, big word. Uh, yeah, I, I practiced that one. <laughs> you feel good? Yeah, right. Yeah, have a little headache. And uh, but seriously, I, I want to commend you as one of the, the forebearers of our humanities and mm -hmm. studies of literary art and just being an academic um, person. I think there need to be more academic heroes in our society. Thing that we need to uh, yes. to sing the praises of those who dedicated their lives to learning and to the education. Your family has certainly been stalwart yeah, in Antiguan society. Yeah. So, I want to commend you for continuing that legacy, and I want to congratulate you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on this program, and uh, I hope to. Uh, be in touch with you sometime in the future, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully, you can actually meet in person. That would be yes. quite the honor. Thank you okay. again for coming on. Thank you. Stopping by with Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Bye.